This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Please pray with me. Jesus, um, in light of all that you gave to surrender, even all seems like it's still too little. Um, And yet it's all we have, and so we give it to you. Um, And Spirit, I pray that you would do something in our souls and in our hearts today that would allow us to step into that giving with glad and sincere hearts. That we'd remember how much we've been given to and that the most natural thing we would do would then be to surrender back all to you. Believing that you're good in that and that that is the pathway to life. We love you and pray that you would mess with us, Holy Spirit, today. Please, mess with us. Challenge us. Speak to us and then lead us in the way of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you join me in welcoming our third service? Let's just say hi to them. Thanks for joining us. We love you guys. I am... Kelly, my wife now, Kelly and I have, had just gotten engaged, and uh, I was invited by her family to go on vacation with them. And so um, I did, and as part of our vacation, we went to the beach, which is sort of our vacation. That's what we love to do. And we were walking along the beach in San Diego. I think it was Pacific Beach, and they had a number of t-shirt stands that were set up right along the boardwalk there. Well, we walked into one of these t-shirt stands, and I immediately noticed um, a tip jar that was on the checkout counter. And I thought to myself, that's what's wrong with the world today, is that there's a tip jar for a t-shirt store. Like, why are we supposed to tip a retail worker? That, That is just so wrong. I mean, maybe if they come and help and show you what shirt to get and how it fits, and maybe, maybe then... Just maybe, but I had this like mental mini rant that I went on. I don't know if you've ever been on that, but I was just fired up about this little tiny tip jar in this t-shirt shop. Well, we got done shopping and went to check out and um, Kelly got out her credit card and, and they, we paid for the shirts that we bought and then she went back into her purse, reached into her wallet pulled out $3, and put, that in the, put those $3 in said insane tip jar right on the counter. And the whole while, it's happening in slow motion. It's just like, boom. I'm going, no. No, we don't, we don't, we don't tip the t-shirt lady. We don't do it. We, we can't do it. We have a moral obligation not to do it. What are you doing? So, so anyway, I walked out of the store, and for about 10 seconds, I questioned whether or not I was really going to marry this woman. She had a lot of things going for her, but she was a crazy tipper, and I didn't know if I could handle that. Well, we walked out, and of course, I proceeded to give her a hard time. I said, what was the deal back there? She said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you, you tipped the t-shirt lady. She said, yeah. I said, why? She said, well, because she seemed like a nice lady and she was doing a good job. I said, she was doing her job, which is what she gets paid for. What was the tip for? The tip jar, right? And she goes, she says to me this, and I'll always remember this. She says, Ryan, if I want to be a generous person, please don't try to stop me. 
And I thought, yeah, 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 you can clap for her, yeah. And I haven't tried. Well, I've tried unsuccessfully over the last almost 13 years now. In many ways, God's taught me a lot through my wife about what it looks like to hold her stuff a little bit more open-handedly, to not just assume that what I have is mine, but to ask Jesus what he wants us to do with our stuff. I'm grateful for a partner in life and ministry that's willing to say to me, Ryan, what would Jesus have us do with our limited resources that he's given to us? It's really interesting because I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church, and any time we had a message on generosity, my um, antenna went up, and it just started to blink inside, agenda, agenda, agenda. The church must need money. If we're, if we're going to talk about generosity, the church must be in a hard position. And so here was my sort of narrative that I found myself in when it came to Christianity. This, this is what I believed about what God wanted from me. One, I believed that if I were to sing a song about surrender and I were to actually give my life to Jesus, he then had an agenda for what to do with my life. And it revolved around taking more things from me than he gave me. It revolved around making me feel guilty and shameful. And then to sort of hit the climax on it all, it revolved around him taking my comfortable life and plopping me down in the middle of absolutely nowhere where I could share the gospel with people that I didn't really care about, about a God who I wasn't sure was actually good. That was all tied up for me in hearing a message about generosity. I thought, agenda, for so long, when I heard the gospel, I heard, this is what God wants from me. And I've since grown to be firmly convinced that any message we have in Scripture is not about what God wants from us. Newsflash, he has more than enough of anything that he needs and of everything that matters, more than enough. He is not lacking. He's not going, man, if I could get South Fellowship to just give a little more, I would be in business in Littleton. (laughs) Not on his agenda. So if he doesn't need anything from us, he must ask things of us, not to get things from us, but because he wants things for us. And here's what I want to say as clearly as I can at the onset as we jump into this idea, this paradox of giving is the new receiving this morning. God does not invite us to be giving people because he needs anything. He invites us to be giving people because we need it for our souls in order to step into the way that he designed us. So please don't hear a message about giving this morning. It's about far more than that. It's a message about living a generous life. And whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor or anywhere in between, can I just say at the onset, this message matters to you because it's about the condition and the way that God shapes our soul. Listen to the way that Jesus says this. Just really quickly. Um, In case you're wondering if this actually does matter in Scripture, Um, We have more than 800 passages in scripture that talk about the way that we use our money. Jesus talks more about heaven and hell than he does, uh, more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined. There's only one subject in the scriptures that get more play, more talk about than money. It's the kingdom of God. That's it. 
That's it. So listen to the words of Jesus, these countercultural, counterintuitive words that Paul recounts to the Ephesian elders that Jesus spoke. He says this, verse 35 of chapter 20. And in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more what? To give than to what? Receive. Now, here's the way that Dallas Willard in his paraphrase of the scriptures translated. He says this, you're far happier giving than you are getting. So this is a principle that Jesus is laying out there, not necessarily a only distinctly Christian principle, but just a way that he's wired our brains, our bodies, and his universe to function. You're happier or blessed, quite literally in the Greek, it's that God speaks a good word over you. When you give, far more happier when you give than when you receive. Well, this week, I wanted to dive into this more. I wanted to not only study the scriptures, but to study the science. I wanted to know, is this actually really true? So I started to research, and here's what I found. It was fascinating. I ran across one study of a guy who um, did an experiment in a number of different um, sort of environments. And here's what he did. He had people fill out a survey that rated their happiness quotient. They were supposed to rate how happy they were. And then he gave them an envelope. And the envelope had in it money and instructions. Half of the people, he said, all right, I want you to go and I want you to buy something for yourself. The other half he gave, it said, go buy something, gave the same amount of money, and he said, go buy something and give it to somebody else. Well, he was fascinated by the study because when they started to come back, the, the research results started to show that the people who spent the money on themselves showed little to no improvement in the happiness in their life. But what he found about the other group, the people that spent money on other people, he said it, their happiness started to shoot through the roof. See, here's his conclusion. His conclusion was, we've been told for a long time, money can't buy you happiness. <laughs> he says, not sure that's true. His claim was that money can't buy you happiness if you spend it on yourself, but it might be able to prove, improve your quality of living if you spend it on somebody else. I ran across a number of other studies that showed when people gave, their brains with endorphins just lit up. I mean, you can go do the research. Wall Street Journal ran an article back in 2013 called Hardwired Forgiving, where they walked through the science of what happens in our physical bodies as we release some of the stuff that God has given to us. Fascinating, because it may just be, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is actually telling the truth here. That maybe it really is not just hypothetically or theoretically better to give than to receive and we feel some sort of like warm fuzzy about that. No, no, no. Maybe, just maybe, this is the way that God has designed his beautiful universe to function. The happy life, according to Jesus, is the generous life. The life that holds our stuff with an open hand is the life that gets refilled with abundance better than we could ever have planned. See, here's the big idea I want us to wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning. It's a great quote from Winston Churchill, and here's what he said. He said, you make a living with what you get, but you make a life with what you give. 
You make a living with what you get. You make a life with what you give. I don't know about you, but I've sensed some internal struggle in my soul even this week as I've started to wrestle with this. And the Lord sort of led me to Mark chapter 6 as a place to find not only hurdles, but anecdotes to what goes on in my soul as it comes to living a generous life. Would you turn there with me? Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time. Because Jesus is going to start to invite his disciples, and, and if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you are a disciple, one learning to live in the way of Jesus. And, and this same Jesus is the Jesus who um, displayed his generosity in the giving of his very life and invites us, come and follow after me. And here's the way he starts to invite his disciples into this. They've just gotten back from uh, a short-term mission trip where they went and shared the gospel of the kingdom. They saw demons driven out. They saw people healed. And they come back to Jesus, and he is going to invite them then to go and get some rest from the hard journey they've been on. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, says this. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, just a quick time out. If you were here last week, you're going to hear some tension between this idea of, of no being the new yes and God's invitation to us to find rest in him and living a generous life. Those are oftentimes in conflict. My goal this morning in choosing this passage is to invite us into the conflict, not to resolve it. If we ever resolve it, I think we've probably fallen on one side or the other. To step into the tension of how do we live, one, in rest, and two, in generosity, okay? If you missed last week, you can hop online and watch the video. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. The disciples couldn't even grab a quick bite because they were so busy. Anyone been there? And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran from there on foot all the towns and got there ahead of them. You get the picture? Jesus and his disciples in a boat going across the lake, people seeing the course they're charting, and they're running along the shore to meet them as they land. Verse 34, when, the, when, they, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. So send them away to go to the surrounding countryside villages and buy themselves something to eat. There's got to be a grocery store writer, a kid selling pita and hummus. Let them go find him. This is not our problem. Well, Unless you listen to Jesus, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they'd found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets, the disciples did, full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. 
what a counterintuitive, impractical invitation Jesus gives the disciples in verse 37. In the midst of your lack, in the midst of your need, we are in the desert. Why don't you give them something to eat? I'd love to propose to you this morning that this is the same invitation Jesus gives to his church today. You give them something to eat. Quite literally, maybe, and, and, and we sort of live that out in running our food bank, but, but maybe there's something better. Maybe there's a, a, a spiritual food, a nutrient for the soul that's far better and far more necessary than even the physical needs that we have. And, and Jesus says to his church, even in the desert, even when it t- seems like we don't have anything left to give, he says, you give them something to eat. See, Jesus believes that there are more resources at hand than the, dis- than the disciples actually have in their hands. He believes that there's a well of goodness and love and grace and mercy to draw on that they simply need to step into. And his invitation to them is simply, there's more than you can see going on here, and the way to see the more is to give away what you have and allow me to provide. Well, that has some challenges, does it not? That has some huge challenges. Look back at the first few verses of this story with me. They've just gotten done with a short-term mission trip. They've come back. They've shared the good news of the kingdom of God. They've seen God do some amazing things. And then Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And when they heard him say that, they must have gone, oh, thank goodness. Because we're running on empty. We, got, we have got absolutely nothing left. And I don't know about you, but it seems like God messes with me sometimes. Like the times when he approaches me with opportunities to be extremely generous, they just aren't convenient. They just don't seem to meet my schedule. It's like, God, I have my planner on iCal. You can look at it anytime you want and bring an opportunity to be generous when I've scheduled to be generous. Thank you very much. But it just doesn't seem to happen like that, does it? I think the reason the generosity can be so difficult is because it conflicts with our convenience. I can't tell you how many times I've set my alarm at for like 5 a.m., I'm like, I am getting up early. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm entering into a season of just really seeking his voice. So the alarm goes off. I get ready. I get downstairs. I brew my coffee. I open my Bible. And instantly, my house erupts. I mean, it's like, is it, this is just Murphy's Law for parents, isn't it? Regardless of how early you wake up, your kids will wake up at the same time. Like, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm not even fighting it. It just happens. See, I think so many times, so many times, the opportunity to be generous and to give is going to find itself in conflict with carrying out our plans and our ideas and protecting our comfort. So the question is, will we give even then? 
Will we give even when there's a financial hardship? Will we give of our energy and our emotional resources even when we feel depleted? Will we give and step into that even then? I'm convinced, and I think we could walk through scripture by scripture throughout the whole context of the word, and what we'd see is that God's greatest context for miracle is sacrifice. That when we give even our last little bit, when it feels like, oh God, I just don't have anything less. You want me to have that conversation with that person right now? That's something that's gonna happen. Is when he steps in and does something far more abundantly than all we could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. I, I think one of the reasons we see God do far less than we would hope is because we're willing to give far less than he actually invites us to. Look at the way that Paul talks about these churches in Macedonia who are giving to this Jerusalem church. He says this, writing to the church at Corinth, using them as an example, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, isn't that a crazy statement? God's grace has been given to them. In a test, in a trial, Their joy has just absolutely overflowed, and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wow. He goes, listen, they they saw this need, and they said, God, all that we have is yours. If you want me to step into the gap, we will, and they did, and what they saw God do was far more abundantly than all that they could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. The problem is, I've got an agenda The problem is, I only have limited amount of resources, time, energy to dole out. God says, even when you get to that point, continue to push forward, continue to move forward. I'm in that. Even when it's uncomfortable, continue to live in this way. Giving is the new receiving because it is absolutely, even when it's difficult, more blessed to give than it is to receive. Listen to the way he goes on. So the disciples have, and and I think there's a spiritual principle there too, that it's one thing to put our feet up by the beach and rest, and it's a whole nother thing to see the way that the God of the universe is at work and rest. So he goes, listen, I want a better rest for you guys. Better than just putting your feet up by the beach is seeing me multiply what you have to give you something you don't. Okay, that's for free though, okay? Verse 34. It says, when he, went ashore, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, what's that word? Compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I can think of a lot of things that would be going on in my heart and my mind. One, how dare you? This is our day off. You, do you know how much we've worked? Do you know how hard we've toiled? Do you know how much we're looking forward to this? Second thing, you needy people, come on. Can't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done? Isn't Jesus like on record? Can't, can't you just go catch the last message he gave somewhere? Isn't this, do you really need him and us now? It's really interesting, this word compassion in the Greek, um, it literally means like our bowels or our insides. 
It's a sort of crude term. It's a term that sort of points to this reality that to be compassionate is to be internally in the very soul of our being invested in another person. The etymology of the word actually comes from the Latin, and and it's two words sort of put together, um, come or to enter into with passion, suffering, to enter into suffering with somebody. So here's the next reason that generosity can be difficult. It's because generosity is always catalyzed by compassion. That's what's first domino to fall. That's what begins this whole thing in our hearts and in our souls is willing to step into a gap because God's captured our heart for a need. So the difficult people in your life, how do we respond to them? The people who seem to just always show up at the exact wrong time, they send the text message when you least want to return it, they make the phone call when you'd least like to answer it, and you know what's coming on the other end. Are you with me? No? I'm with me. (laughs) What do we do then? What do we do then? When we feel like we're running on empty, do we see people as sheep without a shepherd, which in this context means um, they're aimless, they don't have the nutrients they need, they don't have the food that they need, quite literally and figuratively, they're unprotected? A sheep without a shepherd was done. I sometimes look at sheep who have no shepherd and I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed and I'm judgmental. I'll fill in the blank for them. You're in this situation because. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He looks at people and goes, I love you. I love you in the midst of your need. I love the way that Pastor John MacArthur puts it when he says, generosity is impossible apart from our love of God and of his people. But with such love, generosity is not only possible, but he says, it's inevitable. You know, the people that it's easiest for me to look at and to either judge or get frustrated or angry with, instead of seeing them as sheep without a shepherd, are people who have hurt me. I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's people that have shot some arrows at me. It's people that have tried to cut me down. It's people that I feel like have turned their back on me. Those are the people who it's hard for me to look at with compassion and enter into their place of being sheep without a shepherd. And that's why I think one of the most generous things we can do as followers of Jesus It's not even to give our money. It's to give our emotional resources in forgiving people who've wronged us. To step into that void of a wrong that's been done, to absorb it by, based on and because of the resources that Jesus has poured into our soul, and to save to those who've wronged us, who've hurt us, who it's more natural for us to be angry at and to keep at a distance, to say, I forgive you. I think an act of forgiveness is one of the most generous things that you can do. And when Jesus invites us to give as the new way of receiving, even to forgive as the new way of receiving, he's inviting us to life. See, to be bitter and to recount the things that people have done to us, to hold on to the wrongs that have been done to us, simply prevent us not only from enjoying the present, but also from walking into the future that God has for us. 
There's this old Chinese proverb that says, lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. When Jesus invites us to this new way of generosity, it's not just limited to our time, talents, and treasures. It, It also permeates our very soul. Will we be generous to the people who've wronged us? To receive a love and forgiveness from Jesus that shapes the way that we view everything and everyone that happens around us. Look at the way this continues, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, let's get rid of these people. That's my translation. Let's get on with our party. It's time to go, Jesus. Come on now. The hour is late. Send them away so they can go get something to eat. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said back to him, or then he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. It's really interesting because for many years I read this story and while it wasn't what Jesus said in the passage, what I heard was not what do you have, but what do you need? And I think that's often the way that we analyze the way that Jesus wants to interact with us. We look at the world around us. What do we need in order to reach people for Jesus? What do we need in order to plant churches? What do we need in order to push and move the gospel forward? That's the question I ask. I can assure you, it's not the question Jesus asks. He asks not, what do you need, but what do you have? Huge difference. Huge difference. We're really concerned with what we need because we feel like we've got a list going on and Jesus says, oh, come on, come on, come on. Throw that out the window. The journey to generosity begins not someday, but today. Not with what you think you need, but it begins with what you have. If you aren't a generous person with little, you will not be a generous person with much. So here's the invitation of Jesus, not to just use our stuff and not to just consume our stuff, but to leverage our stuff for his kingdom and his goodness. That's what generosity does. It chooses to leverage resources for kingdom impact for the sake and the name of Jesus. If you wait, will you look up at me for just a second? If you wait until you think you have what you need in order to be generous, you will never be a generous person. Just like if you wait to have kids until you think you're ready, you'll never have kids. (laughs) Listen, just this, Justin, don't tell my kids, but I still don't know if I'm ready. Shh. They'll freak out. It's, It's true. It's true. If we wait to have all we think we need in order to be generous people, we will be waiting. Generosity can be scary, can't it? If we say we forgive somebody... And they have the ability to hurt us again. That can be a scary thing, can't it? If we encourage somebody, if we breathe hope into somebody's life, well, what if, what if it doesn't go through the way that we hope it will? That can be a scary thing, can it? If I part with some of my resources, that can be a scary thing because our resources are scarce. It's scary because there's scarcity. But Jesus invites us to push through. See, I'm convinced that giving is the new receiving. 
I'm convinced that Jesus doesn't say this because he wants to pry the disciples' hands open and take money from him and pat his pockets. He's not into that. I'm convinced he's inviting us to life. And see, so when you give, what happens? Well, well, here's what happens. You start to leverage your stuff in your life for a purpose that's far greater than your own. That's what it does. The scriptures are really clear. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if my treasure is all on me, if I spend all my stuff all on me, if I invest my time, my energy, my resources, my talents all on me, then my heart is bound up in me. But here's what he says, if I leverage my resources for the kingdom... If I start to say, God, all of this is yours and you can have it all, I long to live in a way that's open-handed and open-hearted with you. He goes, all right, so here's what starts to happen now. Your heart's not just tied up in you and what happens to you. Your heart actually starts to get tied up in what he's doing for his kingdom. And here's what he says, I will build my church. You can rest assured that's a great investment. It's a great investment of your time, your talents, of your treasure, of your stuff. And here's what it does. If all of my time, talent, treasures rest on me, my heart's with me. If I give it away to the kingdom, it's with the kingdom, which creates a bigger life. Which creates a bigger life. Life that's leveraged for the kingdom. Not just lived for ourselves. It includes partnership. So it catapults us to purpose. It catapults us towards partnership. Look at this beautiful picture of the disciples all looking at each other and going, wait, you want us to do what? Luckily, it's not any one of them. It's them together going, you want us to do what? Feed all these people? Come on, man. There had to be a come on man in there somewhere. And what they do as they live generous lives is they start to link arms and hearts for the sake of the gospel. It's the same picture of you giving a few little things that we sold at the garage sale to make a ton of money. It's groups of people binding together and saying, we want this not to just make money, but to make much of the kingdom. And so people have clothes and people have furniture and people have all sorts of stuff because of the way that you partnered together. It's what it means to be the church. It's to pool our resources, to pool our stuff, to pool our time, our energy, our money, and to say we're better together for the kingdom of God than we are alone. Being generous binds you with other people who live in the same way. And all of that contributes to Jesus' main point. It's way better. You're way happier when you give than when you receive. The passage ends with all these people sitting down and being satisfied But verse 43, look at it with me, says this. And they, these are the disciples, took up 12 baskets full. Love that little detail. Not 12 baskets baskets where they're like scraping in just leftover, full baskets of broken pieces of the bread and fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So here's what you see. They ended with way more than they started with. 
As they released what they had, because generosity always begins where you are with what you have. As they released what they had to Jesus, what they found themselves holding was more than they could have bought or earned on their own. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, is it not? When we release what we have and we give it back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he says back to us, hey, if you seek first my kingdom, all the things you're worried about, the anxieties you have about what you'll eat, about what you'll wear, about what you'll do, all of those, he goes, all these things, if you seek first my kingdom and have your priorities straight, all those other things, they will be added unto you. See, so generosity often comes in inconvenient forms. It's stirred by compassion. It's a view of our stuff that says we're going to leverage our stuff to make the most of what actually matters in this world. And the beautiful thing about it is it always culminates in abundance. This God who says, I'm not going to hang you out to dry. I'm the cattle on a thousand hills. Come on, it's all mine. It's all mine. And I don't need it, but you need to have a disposition of your heart and your stuff and your mind that says, God, it's yours. See, here's the deal, friend. Will you look up at me for just a second? When we're generous, generosity tills the soil of the human soul and allows us to actually receive the seeds of the kingdom. That's what it does. It opens us up. An open hand creates an open heart where God says, I will pour into that blessing, abundance, life, goodness, love, peace, wisdom, truth. It's yours. It's yours. I love the way that the great preacher Charles Spurgeon puts it when he says this, giving is true having. Giving is true having. When we find ourselves releasing our stuff, we find ourselves holding more than we could ever possibly dream. In that same quote, he goes on to cite an anonymous tombstone that he saw. It says this, what I spent I had, what I saved I lost, what I gave I still have. He's talking about this generous life that like a boomerang just outgives the giver because it's connected to the author of all life. So the goal isn't to try to give more, to try to be more generous. The goal is not give more to the church. That's not, please don't hear me saying that. That is not the point of this message. The point of this message is open yourself and your stuff up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the way that we do that is by seeing that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has opened himself up to us. The scriptures are really clear. They say, as you gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, you will be transformed into his image. And if you gaze upon him and don't see the greatest giver of all time, we're not seeing the same thing. We're not, because here's what the scriptures say about him. The scriptures say about that king and that Lord, that, that he emptied himself of all that it means to be God and clothed himself in humanity, that he came and walked this earth, not to be served, but to serve, that he came and he died. He gave his very life as a ransom for any who would put their faith in him, that he takes his own, our, that he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness, that he fights a battle that wasn't his to give you a victory that wasn't yours. Thank I, one amen of that. That's the gospel, friends. 
That's the gospel. He fights a battle that wasn't his to give a victory that you didn't earn. He sheds his blood because of his compassion and love. That is true generosity. In the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, it says that he became poor that you and I might become rich. Wow. Wow. And as we gaze upon him, the disposition of our heart has to change, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're anywhere in between. The question becomes not, how can I get more? Jesus, how can I give more? How can I give more? Because when we choose generosity, we become a reflection of the most generous person who's ever lived. He came and lived the life that you and I should have lived, died the death that we deserved, took our sin upon his shoulders, went to the cross and declared, it is finished. Friends, this is the most generous act you will ever see in your entire life, that by grace you are saved through faith. Not a dime asked from you, not an um, act required of you. It's simply the generosity that flows from your heavenly Father, the good shepherd who gave his life up for his sheep because he loves you. And we're going to celebrate the table this morning. We're going to celebrate the communion table, the Eucharist, the good gift that God gives to his people. And as you come forward, would you come knowing this God is generous? Would you come and receive a symbol of his generosity and his body given and his blood shed? And as you take that in, will you ask yourself, God, what ways... Are you calling me to be generous in this week? What plans are you calling me to maybe put on hold? What, what ways are you inviting me to step into the needs that I see in the world in a compassionate heart to step in? How do you want me to leverage my stuff for the sake of your kingdom? As we come, let's celebrate this generous God and pray that like him, we might become generous people. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and as we come to your table this morning and for third service as they come tonight, Lord, may we be reminded of the generosity of our Savior, of the way that he gave his very life, and that by grace we receive this beautiful gift. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray, amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.